0: Welcome to episode 158 of Behind the Mission, a show that sparks conversations with Sycomer Trust partners and educational efforts. My name is Dwayne France, and each week I'll be having conversations with podcast guests that will equip you with tools and resources to effectively engage with and support military service members, veterans, and their families. You can find the show on all the podcast players by going to sycomer.org forward slash podcast. Thanks again for joining us on Behind the Mission. Our work and mission are supported by generous partnerships and sponsors who also believe that education changes lives. Our sponsor this week is CyGarmer, the premier education and learning ecosystem specializing in military culture content. CyGarmer offers an online e-learning laboratory that's free to individual learners, as well as custom training options for organizations. On today's episode, I'm having a conversation with Dr. Cameron McCoy, author of a recently released book on the first Black Marines called Contested Valor. African-American Marines in the Age of Power, Protest, and Tokenism. In this book, Dr. McCoy shares the stories of the Montford Point Marines, the first African-American Marines that trained at Montford Point, North Carolina, and served overseas in World War II, Korea, and Vietnam. Find out more about Dr. McCoy by checking out his bio in our show notes. Let's get into my conversation with him and come back afterwards to talk about some key points. Cameron, thanks for taking the time to share your work with the audience. I'm looking forward to talking about your book about the Montfort Point Marines. But before we get into that, I'd like for you to share a bit about yourself and why this subject is such a passion for you. I appreciate you having me on, Dwayne. Thanks a lot. And really, the passion for this
1: came out of a very, very short conversation with a peer of mine. We were both second lieutenants running the trails at the basic school in Quantico, Virginia, in August, it wasn't hot or humid at all. So just a nice nature trail. But we went up to a signpost and had all the directional signs for places, you know, Tarawa, Guadalcanal, UOG, all the things that are pretty so with Marine Corps lore. And Moffer Point was on there. And Bobby, his name's Bobby May, and he's given me permission to use his name, says, hey, McCoy, you know a lot about Moffer Point. And I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. She said, it's Cam Johnson in North Carolina. I'm like, what? He said, yes, we're the first black Marines trained. And Dwayne, it was one of these moments where I thought, why is it I never even thought about the first black Marine? It just wasn't even a thought that occurred to me. It just really shook me. It, you know, it chasing me. And that was really where the spark began, because Bobby didn't know anything either. He just said, that's about all I know. And so really, I tease him to this day about, oh, look at what, you, this is what you started. This is all your fault. As he and I just walked in, he yeah. just says, look, I don't know anything about it, but this is what I do now. It was very limited. And I think that's really about who I am, right? It stuck to me. And so I come from a family that values hard work. And even though people may value hard work, it doesn't mean they always do it, but I know something that we value. And really... That experience, it took on a, what's the best way to say it? It Took on a mind of its own, melded with mine, but it really just made me rethink back all the way to myself going to college, getting commissioned in the Marine Corps right before 9-11 and these nuanced things that occur in a really il- elitist institution. And so I joined the Marine Corps right after 9-11. I mean, 9-11 happens a few days after school starts Last year, I d- know that that happens. And after I go on one deployment, second deployment, third deployment, all three combat tours to Iraq, it really starts to wear on you. And the entire time, I'm still thinking about that conversation I had with Bobby May throughout these, all these combat tours in these next few years as an infantry officer. And I really wanted to see this work and project all the way through. So in 2007, I meet Melton McLaurin had written a very small and short book about the Menomoff Report, but it was really just an introduction. He had taken 61, roughly 61 interviews and had done a documentary for the public broadcasters PBS. And he and I met in 2007 in Wilmington, North Carolina at a Barnes and Noble where he was doing a book signing. And he just really gently introduces, hey, Cameron, no one has really talked about these men and their role in integrating the Marine And so that little bit really opened up the flight gates for me to examine other smaller things that involve Black and race, Blacks from the North, Blacks from the South, what the intra-racial dynamics were. And so two, three years later, As I'm looking at graduate programs, I then decide that I would go to Texas a great place, work with my lead advisor, like Chip Dawson, do my master's degree there. And then after that is complete, in 2013, I enroll in my first year in the PhD program at the University of Texas at Austin. that's where I really complete the work. And what you see before you today is an outgrowth of my dissertation. And so that's how Contested Valor came to be. But as a Marine, a Black Marine infantry officer, one of the things that I discovered is just the language is still the same. You're lucky like, yeah, at 80 years later. And the language still is
0: exactly the
1: same.
0: I was thinking of that, and I can imagine you as a, a young officer candidate in the service, in the military service. I served in the Army, you served in the Marine Corps. Like history is part of what we do, but even more so in the Marine Corps, like you have Tun Tavern, right? You have Iwo Jima, Chesty, like you, like the lore of the Corps is such a significant aspect of the culture. And yet there was this really significant point of the history of the Marine Corps that you weren't even aware of 60 years after it happened. Yes. And
1: when I think about it, Dwayne, I don't, I, I have mixed emotions about it. Where part of me was thinking, well, I guess it shows the racial and social progress in the United States that you know, it does, it's not even a conversation starter. And so then at the same time, I thought, wait, I'm pretty much robbed of a form of American history that bends itself directly into my ethnicity as a Black man. And how could that just be pushed aside and not... I did, again, not, not. I don't like using the word celebrated, but at least taught to Marines entering an institution that really had a, a checkered past to be nice when it came to racism and bigotry and discrimination. It really just was a lot of mixed emotions. And even today when asked what I think about it, I don't have a strong sense either way. My goal was to enlighten people about something that seemed to be underrepresented. And at points, it felt to me that it was deliberately erased or minimized. And so I knew that this was a story that was critical to the Marine Corps' legend, its future, as well as a portion of its officer corps that would need to know this information as they move forward. Uh, whose shoulders that they stood on.
0: Yeah, I can absolutely see that. And, and again, sharing this story and the importance of this story, very critical. Um, as a veteran and, and maybe a student of history, I had heard of the Montfort Point Marines, but the story of these Marines isn't widely known, even within military circles, as you've mentioned. What are some of the things that you wish people would know about these men and They volunteered to serve a country that was not accepting of them at the time that they were serving.
1: One thing that I wish people knew is that Black men did serve as Marines in World War II. Believe it or not, Dwayne, there are a lot of people that do not, today, do not believe that Black Marines served during World War II. And for me, that's the first point. It's just understanding that. That these men are members of the greatest generation, as Tom Brokaw named them, and that they had a significant role in developing a generation that was born out of the Depression. So that's the one thing that I want people to know, that they are listed among the great men that most people look back to and like to turn back to what they deem as this golden era of heroism, of valor, of bravely and that these men were dead center in that conversation.
0: Yeah, it's an an interesting concept because, again, yes, if you think about that, but also almost by not telling their story, we're excluding these men from the rightful valor that is theirs. Absolutely. And, And so for people who may not be familiar with the story of the Montfort Point Marines, what can you tell us about how it came about and what these men went through as they were starting their training. They end up, the fir- the very first Montford Pointer
1: comes in, is entered, and who is registered on the books. Again, and I'm going to make some distinctions here. Who comes through the gates, is registered on the books, as the first Montford Pointer is Howard Perry. So he's the very first one to don the Marine Corps uniform. All right, so I need to make sure I set this straight. All right, Alfred Masters and George O. Thompson are the first Black Marines to raise their arm to the square and take the oath of enlistment. So it was Alfred Masters and then George O. Thompson. So Alfred Masters is credited as the very first Black Marine to raise his arm to the square and take the oath. I I want to make sure that's very clear, and that that occurs June first. And this comes right after President Roosevelt in 1941, summer 1941, decides that he is going to desegregate the federal industries. And he does that through an Executive Order 8802. So that's really what breaks the door down and allows these men to surge in the United States Marine Corps. And so they come in basically. That's that seven months after the United States enters World War II. And then they are in the thick of it, moving forward, going through the training program in Jacksonville, North Carolina at Camp Washer Point. By July 1948, that's when Truman integrates
0: all the armed forces. I recall, and, and I was watching a, a documentary about General Colin Powell, and as a young officer, he was serving in the Jim Crow South. This was a time in which the laws of segregation for many of these states and even the places where these men were training were laws against what they could do and where they could be and and really restricting. And yet, these men volunteered to serve their country that, again, the laws of some of the locations were against them.
1: Yeah, so it was your forces, sir, think about it, Dwayne, as a de facto jobs program for many young men, it didn't matter what color you were. For all, or at least most young men during that time, again, these men are products of the Great Depression. So they're looking for work. And the and World War II happens to fall in their lap, or at least World War II opens these doors that really dissolve the color barrier and also almost level the employment playing field for them. And so that's what really marks this seismic shift for Blacks coming into the military, at least in greater numbers than they had previously. But historically, Blacks have always wanted to use the armed forces as a stepladder towards first-class citizenship. And this would continue all the way through the Vietnam War. And many could argue well into the 21st century that Black men and I heard, let me say people of color, but specifically Black men have used this to continue to look for validation as contributing members of society and not a drain as they have historically been characterized. And we see that in 1915 with the making of the release of the movie First of a Nation, which really places Black men in a less than wholesome view
0: to the American public. And so in, in your work from your dissertation and now the book, uh, as you mentioned, Contested Valor, it doesn't just tell the story of the Montfort Point Marines, but really about the military, the country, and even the eras during which these men served. I'm curious about what are some of the reactions that you have received to this book since it's been released? So you're the second person I asked you back in, uh,
1: in three weeks. My initial response when I asked that question was too early to tell. I have, from people personally, it's been interesting the way a major, she, a black female major got in touch with me. And she just was relieved that I had written something like this, that she could read and use as validation for some of the, let's say, criticisms that she's received as a black Marine officer. Where she's just trying to put things together and trying to understand, oh, like, why such antagonism towards her? I have had my peers, other male lieutenant colonels, just, they're just proud. They're just, man, I'm so glad you wrote this. I never knew about this. Like, they're all really excited about just the prospect of learning about something that they had never been introduced to. And that has been refreshing. And then I've also received a lot of people wanting me to come on podcast. The people who wanted me just to speak to them and enlighten them more about the era as they are doing work. For one example, I had a film company contact me. They wanted to learn more about Anna Rosenberg's efforts to desegregate the defense industry and her work. This was something I did not know about at all, Dwayne. And so it really helped me to learn more about other nuanced areas that that really require attention that I have not received it. And then I received people who wanted me to sign their books. And one is a, a Navy captain here. And his father served in the Marine Corps from 1957 to 1965. And he says, his relationship with the Marine Corps is a conflicting one. Pretty much how I shared with you earlier about these mixed emotions, but his dad is a Black Marine and he's had a lot of conflicted emotions, but he's proud of his service. He just disliked the Marine Corps as an institution. And that's what you do find where, you know, how many people will say, I can separate the art from the artist. And I think that's what happens to a lot of people. And He told me, this Navy captain told me that it wasn't until he started reflecting on his own service in the Navy that he fully appreciated his dad's nuanced perspective. It became less of a contradiction than just simply an odd symmetry for him. So he, and he goes on to say that just despite its systemic racism, the Marine Corps gave his father opportunities that he otherwise would not have had growing up as a poor black kid in upstate New York. And he really lands on, in the end, he lands on saying this, something can be both good and bad, speaking directly about the malay court. But those are really most of the prominent uh, takeaways that I've been exposed to.
0: It's interesting as you're talking, I'm thinking back to what you had just said about how many young black men join the military as a way to in whatever the, the military i was tired of sleeping in my dad's basement right how do i get out how do i move on it is a way to move forward with something and then i think even with this idea of it's very difficult to see yourself in higher ranks if there are not people that look like you or or are of your community but then what you're talking about is that's also retroactive is if you don't see yourself in history if you don't know the history that led to you being at that point, you can be just as untethered as someone who doesn't see people like you in positions of authority.
1: I, at first, when you first said that about seeing someone and when I see them, I show that I can achieve it. I normally push back at that. I'll tell you why, Dwayne, but let me go back to what you said just now. Like, I like how you used the word tethered where I just, at first I didn't feel that I was tethered to anything. And then once I discovered it, like you said, I felt I was tethered to the history of the Marines of Mofford Point. One of the things I typically, maybe it's just, because people don't like my response to this. But when it comes to representation, I am still learning my way through the, if I can't see it, does that mean that I can't achieve it? And the only reason, and I can only talk to my singular experience, Dwayne, is before I pinned on lieutenant colonel, I had only seen one black lieutenant colonel. And I didn't even think about, oh, I can do that. I just, if you stick, you know how this is. If you stick around long enough and you don't get in trouble, you're going to get promoted. The pulse in all the right <laughs> places. <laughs> exactly. It's, I was having a conversation earlier today. I was some representatives from the United States Naval Academy about this. And they brought the same thing up that you just did. And I said, the first time I saw a black Marine general, I I remember my thoughts and none of them were, wow, I can be that one day. It just was like, I've never seen that before in my entire life. That's all it was. It was just, oh my gosh, I've never seen this before. And he walked directly to me. I just graduated from Oxford Canada School. I was getting commissioned in about one hour after, and he just walked up to me. He was retiring. I think he was retiring that next week, retired Major General Clifford Staley. And he walks beeline directly to me, Dwayne. I'm with my family, there were only three black male candidates in a class of about 700. And I had done pretty fairly well at officer candidate school. He walks directly to me. And he shakes my hand and he says, I wish you the best in your career. Good to see that the Marine Corps is in good hands. And something to that effect. And I wish you the best of luck. But but as a byproduct of people just don't see two-star generals walking around every day. On top of that, he just happened to be he happened to be black. But I didn't think anything beyond that afterwards. I didn't think about his struggle. And that was where I felt bad, Dwayne, where And like, if I had just known more about Montfort Point, I could have had a more critical conversation with him because he wasn't busy. We talked and he didn't seem to be in a hurry. But I probably could have just pulled on a single thread and said, what are your thoughts of the Montfort Point Marines and where you are today? I could have asked a, a more educated question, but as you know how it works He wasn't into having a conversation. He was just going to talk to me (laughs) as generals. So when I reflect upon that memory of him, I think, and I just think about what is it that I can do to honor the memory rather than looking further. And they may be one in the same, Dwayne. They may be one in the same. But I reflect on my career as what can I do not to embarrass them or myself and what they sacrificed, because this is what I think is so cool about the Marines Officer Point. Every single Black Marine officer can trace his lineage directly back to a single point. And it's, there's no ifs, ands, or buts. Your direct lineage
0: starts right there in Jacksonville, North Carolina, at Camp Johnson today. And again, I think telling that story Telling that story is important because it's important for that story to be known. But also, as you just mentioned, it's very important for those who have a vested interest in knowing that that origin. So, if people wanted to find out more about your book, where they could get it, how can they do that?
1: I find it on the University Press of Kansas's website. You order it there, and as we all know, all giving Amazon—that's the easiest place. (laughs) Uh, to order a copy of it. But those are the, the two places that I definitely know uh, the book can be purchased. Yeah. I've appreciated all the support and love that people have shown towards me. I'm getting a lot of emails, a lot of opportunities to share this work with so many other people. And I really do hope that this work can really just enlighten people. I did not write it doing to change the world. That was not my intent. I didn't write it for it to be some number one bestseller. I know that's not going to happen. I wrote it because I I didn't know that this existed. And I couldn't find anything that was significantly substantial or comprehensive that really could aid in lifting the education of Black Marines who just wanted to know more who... Felt frustration with the Marine Corps, and maybe my book will probably add to their frustration or alleviate some frustration. And it's not up to me, but I just wanted to get the work out there, and I, I hope someone is able to build upon it or uh, maybe interpret it in a different way that continues to enlighten and educate others, even myself. I I read if someone writes anything on the Marine Corps point, I read it all right just to to know where where their takeaways and insights originate from them and how they interpret the work and these men as well and it's always exciting i've enjoyed this opportunity it probably won't last very long but the book is out there and one day we always make fun of books i walk past on shelves outside of professors halls dude one day your book's gonna be just like that so i'm
0: trying to get rid of
1: it <laughs> hopefully we can take something away from well
0: it. i i think the the subject matter is significant and important and hopefully as you said that they will be giving it away because they want to share the knowledge that's within it so absolutely i will make sure that the links to the book uh, are in the show notes thank you so much for coming on the show today thank you for having me duane i
1: really appreciate all this work that you've done to put this together it means a lot to me
0: Once again, we would like to thank this week's sponsor, PsychArmor. PsychArmor is the premier education learning ecosystem specializing in military culture content. PsychArmor offers an online e-learning laboratory that's free to individual learners, as well as custom training options for organizations. I'm glad to have been able to share this conversation with Dr. McCoy. Maybe, like me, you have many more questions. If so, check out the book, which is linked in the show notes. One thing that struck me about our conversation was how Dr. McCoy shared his opinion on representation of people of color in positions of authority. For him, when he saw another black officer, he never thought, I can do that. But contrast that with his reaction of hearing of the first black marines. He immediately thought, how did I not know about that? There are a number of different ways that barriers can be broken for those who have historically been marginalized and kept out of opportunities. This can happen as individuals as well as within cultures. It is often a point of pride for the entire family when someone is the first in their family to graduate from college or obtain an advanced degree. But there is a breaking down of the barrier of getting in the door, which is what the Montford Point Marines did. Then there is the barrier of representation in positions of authority, the glass ceiling effect. For Dr. McCoy, the ceiling didn't seem to be the problem, but the story of how black men faced hardships, including, and not least, institutionalized racism within the Marine Corps, and legislated racism in the form of Jim Crow laws seem to have resonated with him. One is a potential future that he and others can achieve. The other is a lost history that could have given him a connection to a lineage that has long-standing meaning, and that is the gift that he has given to the rest of us. So I hope you appreciated this conversation with Dr. McCoy. If you did, we'd appreciate hearing from you. If you do have some feedback, let us know. Drop a review in your podcast player of choice, or send us an email at info at we're always glad to hear from listeners, both feedback on the show and suggestions for future guests. For this week's Sycomer Resource of the Week, I'd like to share the Behind the Mission podcast episode number seven, a conversation with General Sinclair Harris and Kathy roth Duque about the Blue Star Family's racial equity initiative. You can find a link to the course in our show notes. So thanks again for taking the time to listen to this episode. Make sure to take a look at the show notes, which you can find in the podcast app as well as on the Sycomer website at sycomer.org forward slash podcast. While you're there, you can find hundreds of online training videos delivered by nationally recognized subject matter experts who are all committed to educating the non-military community about military culture. All of these courses are free to individual learners. You wouldn't be listening if you didn't care, and it's that curiosity and passion for supporting service members, veterans, and their families that we want to encourage and increase. Come back each week for another conversation, and make sure to engage with Sycomer on social media to let us know what you thought about the show. I'd like to express special thanks to Operation Encore and Navy Seahawk pilot Jerry Maniscalco for our theme song, Don't Kill the Messenger. This show was produced by Headspace and Timing and all rights to the show remain reserved by PsychArmor. Much appreciation to the team at PsychArmor that makes this show happen. Carol Turner, Vice President of Strategic Communications who keeps me on track and is an outstanding guest coordinator and support and transcript by Emma Atherall. Feel free to share the show. In fact, we request that you do, but make sure to let folks know where you heard it. Join us next time for another great episode, and until then, stay aware, get educated, and be well.